I love the sound of them babies. I really do. The Lord has ordained praise from the mouths of infants and babes and from you. It's so good to be. One of the reasons I love being in the front is because I love hearing the praises of God's people as we sing. Um, And now I get to look at you and see you. And so I say to you again, good morning. I love you. I'm grateful for you. Um, I, I, I pray that I'm always a messenger. I very much feel that way this morning, a messenger. Um, this is God's word. It's a word of amazing truth. It's liberating. It's also a hard word. And as I was praying about, again, this week and next week, we have standalone sermons that I, um, we're not walking through a book. And so really just praying about, Lord, what would you have me to say through your word? And I really felt like he was leading me to Romans 6, um, in part just because of some burdens that I've been bearing for you and as I pray for you and, and think about you. So I just want to say this, the surgeon comes to, uh, to wound at first, but only to heal. So if you'd give me grace, we pray for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, as, as Sarah said. Um, this is because I love you, and um, let's just see what God has for us this morning. Um, we are pushing into leaning into more of what God has for us ever, hopefully ever more, ever more. But in his 40 days of prayer, especially really asking the Lord, seeking his face and asking him to come to fill us, um, to, to slice away the carnality in our lives, the things in our lives that aren't consistent with the fact that he died and rose again for us. Um, he gave all of himself for all of us. So, um, and as we do that, um, I'm seeing sin in my own life and I'm just, I'm, I'm seeing um, things in this body that I do believe grieve the Lord. And so I want to talk about that. Um, there's, there's a lack of hunger. There's a malaise. Um, I'm, part of it's because I'm learning as, as I'm your pastor. I can't, I can't know everything about you far from it, but um, learning through some conversations that some of us are really feeding on, on the world in some ways that grieve me. And I just want to remind myself and, and us that we can't serve two masters. We can't serve two masters. Grace doesn't mean living how we want. Uh, it means that we're slaves to the living God and slaves to righteousness. And so as we pray for revival, there, uh, one of the things we want to be understanding and expecting, and I want to preach on today, um, is that repentance always precedes revival. Think about John the Baptist without saying any more about it for now. Um, if revival ever came, it came uh, when Jesus, our King, came onto this planet. Um, and, and right before his ministry, what happened? John the Baptist preached a one-word sermon, repent. Repent, the king is coming. And so um, there is, uh, repentance always precedes, to my understanding, historically, it always precedes revival. As we see God for who he is, we go, woe is me with Isaiah. And then he comes and he cleanses us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Non-Christians for the first time as we come to Christ, but Christians, as Justin said, repentance ought to be an ongoing thing further in and farther, um, farther up, as Lewis says, into the living God and saying, Lord, whatever's not consistent in my life um, with the gospel and with your kingship, cut it away and convict me. So, um, okay, if we look at the opening salvo um, from verse one here, um, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So Paul has just spent basically five chapters preparing for and then preaching the beautiful gospel, that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, it's all been done for us in Jesus Christ. But then he turns and he says, now some of you are gonna say, does that mean we can live how we want to? And that's where he is right now. It's a hard chapter, but a glorious one, as Sarah said. Here's how I tweak that, what Paul said for us today, right now, right here, in this church even. Are we to continue in sin because grace abounds? 
I think sometimes I and we think about the Christian life in that way, even if we didn't, wouldn't want to admit it. Um, verse 15, Paul says, we're not under law, but grace. Since we are under grace, should we live how we like? Should we sin willfully? And his, his resounding response is no, absolutely not. May it never be. Um, and again, that I, a conversation I had recently with a member, um, um, she said that she was so glad that um, Game of Thrones was ending, not to, you know, but Game of Thrones was ending um, because on Sunday nights, uh, people won't be watching that anymore. And she listed, you know, a bunch of other shows that um, right in line with that. And I just, it grieved me some, again, I mean, I probably shouldn't have mentioned the, the, na- the name of the show, but uh, um, there's, from what I hear of that show, and I don't want shame to fall on you. That's not what I'm about, and we're going we're gonna to go there. But from what I hear of that show, I feel like it's, it's carnal. It's, um, there's all, there, are there kids in here? Kids, okay, aren't, but, okay. All sorts of things in there that I don't want to expose myself to. Thank you. Um, that I don't want to expose myself to, and you're my flock, and I don't want to see they do it. And that's just one example. I don't ever do this, and I probably shouldn't have mentioned it out loud, um, because I don't want you to focus on a show. I'm, I'm watching a show, I feel guilty. But that, to me, just, I, I want us to be so careful about mischaracterizing grace as living however I want to, and having, having license, as opposed to being slaves to Christ. So that just set in me, in, in motion in me, just a grieving process. I was literally gape as, as she said this, um, from what I've heard of it, um, Paul says here, you were a slave to sin, but no longer. It's been killed with Christ and you, you by faith with him, um, this slave master of ours that we were all born into. In verses 12 and 13, he says, don't present, here's one of the key things I wanna focus on, don't present your members to sin, don't let it rain. But this is exactly what some of us are doing. It's like we're walking, Christ has set us free from a prison, he's the key master, he's opened the door, and through a great expense of himself for us that he's paid with his own body and blood and soul, he's opened the prison door and we're free. And it's like we've walked out and then we walk, when we walk in sin knowingly, we walk right back in. And there are a thousand ways that we do it, right? I'm gonna mention a few in a second, but we walk right back in and we close the gate and we live in that cell. That's what Paul says to us here. Um, When the bail price was the pulverized body and soul of the son of God, for us. When we choose to sin, we are choosing our enslavement once again. Verses six, verses 16. That's what Paul's saying here, in part. It's not all he's saying, thank God. Um, we, none of us would knowingly, it's ludicrous, none of us would knowingly do that. We wouldn't be set free by a man who's paid everything to set us free and then walk back into that cell. But that's exactly what Paul says we do when we knowingly choose sin. We enslave ourselves to it once again. Um, verse 19, I'm going to go ahead and read verse 19. Um, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And I think our question today based on that is, are we presenting ourselves? Be honest. If, if you're not honest, I remember Jack Deere, a teacher that I used to listen to a lot and that we heard speak two weeks ago. He was taking archery lessons from the state champion archer of Montana. And he, Jack pulled back the bow and I think he had him close his eyes just to feel the form and he let go and he didn't know where it went. But the, the guy said, how did that feel? And Jack, there was a pause and Jack was like, good. And the, and the uh, he said, open your eyes. And the state champion archer said, 
Don't ever lie to yourself. Don't ever lie to yourself. If you do, there's no progress. And, and, and that's the case today. When I ask us, I'm included in this, I'm preaching to me, friends, this question, are, there's no progress if we're not honest with ourselves and the Lord. He knows our hearts. Are we presenting our members as slaves to impurity? Or, there's, there's, there's just one or, or are we presenting our members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification? I want you to note this. It's a binary choice. The, 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 the choice that Paul gives us here. Notice there's no third middle way. In other words, let me spell that out. Paul does not give us this category. Or are you as free people presenting your members to impurity? He does not say that in this text. He says, rather he says to Christians in Rome, he's writing this to Christians, pleading with them not to submit once again to slavery. He's saying, he's saying are you presenting yourselves as slaves, as slaves to impurity? The message is clear. If you're a Christian whom Christ has freed, if you're regularly presenting yourself to impurity in, a, in a, all sorts of manifold ways that we can imagine, and we might not have to imagine, in some ways I don't, you're living like a slave. You're living like a slave. You're living like you're in this tiny cell, this eight by 11. Are you bec- and are you becoming a slave to your impurity? Uh, excuse me, and you are becoming a slave to your impurity to what you are pursuing even though you've been set free by Christ. That's what Paul's saying here in Romans 6, and it's a hard, but it's a good word. We have to be honest with ourselves. Is there, if there's gonna be repentance, continual repentance as Christians, but also maybe for the first time, we're like, man, I am a slave to this stuff. I need freedom. I need Jesus. Say it again as a believer. Say it again and ask him to shine a light in, in on your heart where you're pursuing things that are just enslaving you. So here's the question. How might you be doing this? How might I? How might we be presenting our members as slaves to impurity? Um, let me just tick off a few things. This is sort of on the order of Game of Thrones. I shouldn't have mentioned that by name. I love fantasy. I love the Middle Ages. I have a fascination with both of them. I'm not saying no to any of those things, okay? But from what I've heard is in this stuff, guys, what, what association does Christ have with Belial? Um, okay, so alcohol. I love a good drink. But ask yourself, this is between you and the Lord and your community, this church, at some point, hopefully confess your sins one to another, what? That you may be healed, okay? But be honest, does it have a hold of you? Are you giving, are you giving yourself over to it? Pornography, in Game of Thrones, I think in a lot of ways has been rationalized as not that, but from what I hear, it sort of is like a, a medieval fantasized version of just stuff that we ought not to be feeding on. Um, I heard this said a couple weeks ago regarding pornography. He said it like in an elevator and then just left. And I was like, whoa, it just kind of stunned me and stopped me in my tracks. He said, pornography is so rampant. We've read the stats, pastors have. We know that like pastors and Christians or people who claim to be are looking at it regularly as much as non, essentially. Um, But if he said, if you're not addressing pornography in your church with your men, especially, you're not discipling men. Dang, that was convicting to me, y'all. Um, media. Again, I'm not a Luddite. I like technology, okay? I like it, but just to tick off a few, Netflix, Instagram, the internet, does it have a hold on you in such a way that it's enslaving you in some form or fashion? This is for you. Um, materialism. I was reading a glossy magazine yesterday in a waiting room, getting, about to get my hair cut, and it was beautiful, man. I, I tend to not look at those magazines because I want those houses, you know? <laughs> I want to be there. Um, our house is amazing, and I'm so grateful to this congregation for allowing us to buy in this area. It's incredible, so generous. But it doesn't look like, doesn't look like those homes. 
envy can crop up real fast, the materialism in my heart. But I was looking at it as I was waiting. And uh, this lady had an incredible house in Dallas. And this was the phrase that was superimposed over one of the photos. It said, this house is part of who we are. And I just thought, ouch. Man, I know what she's saying, but my response to that is, yeah, and what about when it burns down? I get it. This house is special to us, but man, part of who we are, things can become that way to us, can't they? They can start to tie themselves in to our hearts. We are idol factories. And my other question is, what about when you die? Can you take that with you? And so the trick in this life, living, holding on to things lightly, loving the Lord our God and getting all else besides, right? I mean, I I hope you know what I'm trying to say here. Material's good. God made it. It's to be enjoyed. But man, so quickly can we look to that thing. Can we look to that thing to do it for us? And only you and the Lord can really, only you can be honest about about whether that has a hold in your heart. This is for you. This is for me. This is for us. This is God's word to cleanse us and to cut off the flesh and to draw us back to him. Um, Anger and anxiety. I struggle with both big time. Anxiety is really practical atheism in a lot of ways. And I struggle with it all the time, but really saying, look, I got this. And if I don't get it, no one else is going to confessing that, recognizing and asking God to free us. Unforgiveness, judgment, uh, Justin mentioned both this morning. Unforgiveness, and Justin says this a lot as we minister to people, it's maybe unforgiveness and, and we all have our reasons. We've all been wronged. We all will continue to be wronged. Hey, we will all wrong other people. Unforgiveness is the chief thing that will keep us from knowing the Lord more and from being broken out of our bondage. Unforgiveness. The Lord says, um, you know, forgive us as we forgive others. If we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven because it shows that we don't understand God's forgiveness. It's not a tit for tat, okay? Um, it's a mark of gospel understanding. Judgment. And I have, I was, so asking the Lord, Lord, do I have unforgiveness? I asked him a couple weeks ago and I was amazed to see him put certain people on my heart. Man, forgive me, Lord. Help me to love them. Help me to serve them. Um, envy. I love that verse, godliness with contentment is great gain. And then gossip. This is not an exhaustive list. It's just a few things that came to mind, um, many of which convict me. Um, Gossip. How I'm so convicted of, I've gossiped in the past couple weeks about some folks. And how can I speak that way, James says, with, with my tongue and then go and worship the Lord who made them and who laid his life down for these people that I'm gossiping about? How can I do that? Augustine apparently had something above his kitchen, above his dining room table that said something like, those who speak about others um, that aren't at this table here aren't welcome at this table. Something to that effect, you know, because usually when we're talking about others, unfortunately, it's negative. Let's be a people who are the opposite, who, who speak well of folks in their presence. If we have something to take to somebody, take it to them. Forgive me, Lord, forgive us. Um, I hesitated big time to preach this sermon because I knew the cry in my own heart and the cry in your heart is gonna be legalism. I don't, I don't usually do stuff. I, I don't know that I've ever preached a sermon like this, okay? Um, I get it, but to quote Christine Kane from our conference last weekend, she said, since when did obedience become legalism in the church? Paul is clearly talking about us pursuing things that are not godly and they're not of the Lord, and we, what happens is they enslave us. He doesn't want that for us. He wants all that Christ came to purchase for us to be ours, okay? And so do I. I want revival and we're praying for it and we're pressing into it, but continually and more and more what I wanna see, friends, in my own heart and in us is repentance. Repentance leading to more of the Lord, more of his spirit, more of his unction, more of his outpouring for Christ to get more glory. Um, 
and for us to be more satisfied. Guys, he doesn't save us um, so that we can live how we want. That's the whole point of this chapter, I feel like. Other than, I mean, the, the whole point is that he preaches the gospel in it, but he saves us not so that we can live as we please. That's the American understanding of freedom. That's not the scriptural, biblical understanding. He saves us so that we can be wholly devoted to him. He saves us so that we can live not how we want, but how he wants. There are only two choices. We're either slaves to our flesh or slaves to righteousness and to Jesus Christ, our King. Those are, that's it. It's a binary choice, right? Um, he saves us so that we can live how he wants to burn and to yearn for him. Does all that you do, just ask yourself this question, pass this test. Um, if not, repent. Let him cut it out. He's, he's waiting at the door and he's knocking. Um, and that's, he write, that is written to a church. I Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. That's written to believers. And I believe that that's what he's doing this morning with us. He's, I believe that he put Romans 6, his word for us this week on my heart because this is exactly what he wants. He's saying, come farther in. I do not want you to feel condemnation. I want you to feel conviction leading to sorrow over sin to have you run to Christ more, okay? And me too. Um, the ground note beneath all this is this fact. We are not our own. The freedom that Christ purchased for us with his body and blood does not mean getting to live as we please. Paul calls us slaves. We are his slaves, bought and paid for. And what a good master he is. We're slaves, we're friends, we're sons, and we're daughters, right? But this is the language Paul uses here. But we are, when we pursue unrighteousness and impurity, we're, Paul says, enslaving ourselves once again. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. Um, verse 21, my translation of verse 21 is, yeah, you're doing these things, you're living in this way, believers, how's that working out for you? Are you free? I want you to ask yourself this question again. Are you brimming with joy and heavy peace to overflowing? And I can tell you that if you're, if you're running after these things for satisfaction, you're not. Um, some of us are joyless and heavy. Um, some of us are even sick because of it. Again, am I saying if you're sick, it's because you've been saying no, 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 no. But the scriptures are clear, James 5, elsewhere, that sometimes sickness is a sign of God's judgment that he, that he might wake us up with pain as his megaphone and lead us and call us to him, okay? Um, Christ came that we might have life and have it abundantly, not a trickle, but a flood, a flood, friends. And that's what I want for you. Um, I think of the, the land of the lotus eaters um, when I sit in this text and think about this word. Odysseus, Homer's, Homer's Odyssey, and Odysseus and his men are almost home. They've been away for years trying to find home. And they go to an island um, where they, they are fed this lotus flower, and uh, this lotus fruit. And as they eat this lotus fruit, um, it says, uh, one, one website that I found says, his men, quote, lose all thoughts of home and long for nothing more than to stay there eating more fruit. And I wanna say that I feel that we are in America, in our culture, right here, right now in Galleria, we're being drugged to sleep. We're eating the lotus fruit. Um, and it can happen in a bunch of different ways, through materialism, through media, through being busy. Have we lost our first love? Have we lost our first love? A lot of the things that we're going after are good things. I mentioned a bunch of things that are just, there's no way that any of that stuff's good, but a lot of the stuff we're going after, they're good things, but we're going after them with all of our hearts. And my question is, have we lost our first love? Um, 
that Tara and Meti are two of our Iranian members here, and Tara sent that thing on GroupMe a couple weeks ago um, that was about the Iranian church and about what God's doing there. And she attached a video, which I haven't watched yet, but I can't wait to. But the, the article just, um, it just, it just stung me straight to the core. And one, in the article, it says that there's an Iranian woman, heavily persecuted in Iran, Christians are, right? That they, she and her husband got a chance to come over here, won a lottery or something. And um, she actually surprised her husband a couple months into being in America and said, I wanna move back. And the reason she gave is this. She says, there's a satanic lullaby here. All the Christians are sleepy and I'm feeling sleepy. Dang. And she's right. Um, And I feel like Paul is saying in this text, wake up. The treasure that you have is Christ and he has saved you, all of you, for all of him. So repent and he will revive us with refreshing springs. Um, Okay, so the alternative is being slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Verse 23, that well-trod verse that's included in the Roman road, a wonderful verse that Sarah ended with. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, nothing we can do to earn it, been earned for us. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I feel like a lot of times we read that and go, okay, it's a once, one and done. But actually, embedded in the, in the language here and in this book and in the New Testament and in the whole Bible is the idea that it, it's not just we are made righteous by faith all at once, considered justified through faith in the person who's finished the work for us, Jesus Christ. But actually it's so that we might know Christ who is eternal life and walk with him. It's a pro, it's, so Christ is the door, but he's not just the door, he's the road. And he's our travel companion, and he wants to walk with us all the way. Um, so how do we feed on Christ? Because uh, we are what we eat, friends. We are what we eat. How do we feed on Christ? How do we present our members as slaves um, of righteousness, as instruments of righteousness? I'm just going to blaze through a few of these um, and then tell a story about a dream that Robin had this week. And then give you just a bunch of uh, things to close on. But um, he... Um, it's, it's the stuff that you've heard about a hundred times, but there's no, I'm not gonna give you something novel, thank God. Um, it's the good stuff. It's, and again, be honest with yourself. Don't let this sound Sunday schoolish or churchy, but be honest with yourself. Like, the things that we're running after, they may be good things, they probably are. Like, it could be a spouse or the idea of a spouse or the idea of a girlfriend or boy. It could be work. Work's a good thing, but is that what you've given your heart to? Have you left your first love? How much time are we feeding on his word? Is it characterizing us? Are we dwelling in it and marinating in it and meditating on it? Uh, both together and both separately, individually and in community. Prayer, what part of your life does prayer take? Private and corporate. Are you abiding in Christ such that you're walking in the spirit of prayer? Um, Christian community, all that we've been given, including the life of the parish, getting together, sharing life together, that we might go out, that we might Know and be known and know our Lord together and that we might go out on mission to reach those God's put around us for Christ. How much of a part of our lives is that community? Um, And I'm not saying I don't see these in you. I do, I see all these in you. I'm just encouraging you. Um, I think sharing our faith's a big one. Honestly, I'm, I'm lacking in this category. Like I want the more, as I share my faith, I find my faith being challenged and renewed. I'm never more of a borderline atheist is when I'm about to get up to preach or when I'm about to go to my knees in prayer, or when I'm share, in the middle of sharing my faith. C.S. Lewis actually says that. You feel 
the attack and you all of a sudden have your eyes open to the idea that, that I'm presenting this stuff and I'm telling this person, this is life and death. This is heaven and hell. This is, the stakes are eternal here. God died for you. What? You kind of hear yourself and go, it's a faith renewer. Um, it's something that we ought to be doing if we believe that God actually gave up heaven to come rescue us and endured hell for us. May our lives be consistent with that beautiful gospel. Um, suffering, a lot of you in this body are suffering, which is one of the things, ways I see God trying to draw us in. Through, suffering is an evil, but through suffering, calling us closer in, higher up and farther in, and um, trying to rouse us with his megaphone, um, to, use a, to use a phrase from Lewis. Are we trying to just move through the suffering and get done with it as fast as we can? Or are we learning from the suffering and asking, Lord, what are you trying to teach me in this? And are we at the same time, hey, praying that God would relieve us, praying that God would heal us, praying that God would remove that thorn. We ought to be doing both, right? But I think that's one of the things that we can learn from and I wanna learn from better. I seem like a real Luddite and, 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 and fuddy-duddy here, but books, those square things that don't beep or anything like that, they have ink on the page. Um, maybe you're reading on a, on a Kindle, but there's a reason that God gave us his word, special revelation, the scriptures in a book form. There's something about that medium. I'm not a Luddite, I'm not against media, um, as we, as we think about it, right, the screens and all that, but I do think it's such, it has, can have such a powerful hold on us that to be the people of the book who are still, who are quiet, who take time to meditate on his word day and night, personally, with others, in a spirit of prayer, praying without ceasing, do we avail ourselves of fasting? This kind does not come out except by what? Prayer and fasting, Man, what a, powerful, what a powerful tool. And here's the litmus test. Is it true, beautiful, pure, honorable, commendable? Here, Paul in Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So I'm not, forget Game of Thrones. Okay, act like I didn't say it. Forget that. I'm just saying, if you're saying don't do this, that's the wrong approach. Or should I, can I do this? Wrong approach. Now, some things, don't do this, don't murder. You know, don't, don't engage in, don't look at pornography. Like, don't, don't go there. If you are, this is a place where we want you to be honest about it and confess it. And God is all about repentance constantly. But the, quest, the question we ought to be asking ourselves is, is it true? Is it good? Is it beautiful? Is it lovely? These are the things that we are commanded and enjoined by Paul um, to, to dwell on. If there's any excellence, dwell on these things. Um, Robin had a dream I told you I'd share with you now as I, as I pivot uh, toward walking downhill with this thing. Robin had a dream this week, and I'm not gonna spend much time on it, and we may get her up here, not today, but at some other time, Sunday, or maybe at the prayer meeting to share more about it. Um, but it was a dream this week. I still don't understand it all, and I probably never will, but um, it was at a house, and it had three tiers. The house had three levels. And there were floods coming because there were three massive tsunami waves coming. And she's been praying that the Lord would give her dreams. And if you're wondering, like, God doesn't speak through dreams, where a church believes he does, you always take it back to Scripture. You weigh it in community. Um, Acts 2, Peter says, this is one of the things that's going to characterize 
God speaking constantly because of what his son's done by his Holy Spirit is we're going to have dreams, we're going to have visions, we're going to have prophecies, and we're always going to take it back to his revealed word, right, and weigh it in community. But she had this dream, like, right after she started praying this, and I really feel like it's for us right now, and I feel like it was one of the things that God used to confirm to me, like, I want you to give this word to my people because I want all of them, and I want the compromise to stop. And he was talking to me, too. He died for all of us, all of him for all of us. Um, three waves, three massive waves. And um, the people on the lower deck were like, there wasn't a wedding going on, but like a party, like a garden party. And they were just oblivious. And she felt like it was this community and our larger community of friends and family that we know. And just the idea that like we are eating lotus fruit. We are asleep, a lot of us. And she believed these were Christians um, and possibly some non-Christians too. Um, but they were, in other words, they were thinking, they were like those in the days of Noah, who what? They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. And then what happened? The flood came, bam, the ground was broken up, deluge from the sky, and everyone would ate, but eight were drowned. So the idea of water is judgment, and there was this idea like, come up, guys, the waves are coming, it's coming, come up higher, come farther in. He's beckoning us to more, stop playing around, you think that, you can live um, just as you are. I'm telling you, you're in a dangerous place. You're enslaving yourself once again. We don't want this for you. Come up, come up. But the other thing is, and this is, I think, fairly standard in dream interpretation, but also in the scriptures. Water is often at least doubly symbolic of judgment. You know, water in baptism, that you die with Christ, that's judgment, but you rise to new life. Um, but also of the Holy Spirit. Again, think about repenting repenting from those things that bring judgment and slavery, that we might have a new outpouring, more of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit based on what Christ has given for us, which is all of himself. Um, and so I really feel like as we press into the Lord, and guys, I see growth. I see so much beauty. I see so many of you pushing in more to the Lord. But, and so it's because of that that I wanna say, let's continue in a spirit of, of repentance from the things that we know, we've given our hearts to that aren't the Lord or that we are just evil. Can I just say that? That are enslaving us. And maybe we haven't even thought about it before, but I wanna, I wanna sound the alarm and ring the bell and say, guys, let's ask the Lord. Let's be honest with each other. Repentance, what? So that we might be revived and so that the world might know that Christ has come to save, save it. For the church to be cleansed, for the church to be zealous for the Lord, for the church to be walking fully in the light. That is, when, that is when the world looks and says, man, something's going on here. There's light in this darkness. There's salt. What does Jesus say about salt that's lost his saltiness? It's worthless. It's, um, unbelievers, the lost can be saved. That's a wonderful opportunity, and we pray they will be. Salty Christians, wonderfully flavorful and preservative, but Christians who've Salt, who's lost its saltiness, the only thing good for it is, is its saltiness. If it doesn't have saltiness anymore, it's only good for being tossed out. That is terrifying. That is terrifying. And so I want to just put that before you, and I, I want to repent to the Lord together. If there's anything in your heart that's resonating, if there's not, praise God. I mean, it, praise God if, if there's nothing to be repented of. If, if there is and there's no conviction, then Lord, help us. Um, I think that this dream, this tsunami, um, 
is at once a warning and an invitation, judgment, but also Holy Spirit revival that's here and that's coming. And he wants us to, as Lewis says in the, in the last battle in Narnia, on the, one of the last pages, to come further up and further in. God is beckoning us. Um, let me just close down with a few quotes from various people, um, and then we'll be done, and we're gonna do something really exciting. And I'll talk about how it relates, okay? This is a big Sunday for us. This is a huge Sunday. Weird sermon, huge Sunday for us because we get to ordain, appoint, Paul and Brazewood and send them out. And I think at first I was like, Lord, not on this Sunday, please. I feel like it really relates and I'll tell you how in a second. Um, Like Luther um, said in the first of his 95 theses and and Justin quoted, I think today, the Christian life is to be one of ongoing repentance. This is is normal, guys. This scripture, Romans 6, is right smack dab in the middle of his magnum opus of theology, Romans. And so it's, it's here for us. Um, Leonard Ravenhill quotes John Wesley or talks about John Wesley. He says, like John Wesley, I believe in the need for repentance in the believer. The promise of the, fa- believe, repentance isn't just for the unbeliever, guys. It's for us. The promise of the Father is for you. Just now on your knees, he says, or seated comfortably in this chair, make this your prayer if you are able, friend. He says, quote, to make my weak heart strong and brave, send the fire. To live a dying world to save, send the fire. Oh, see me on thy altar, lay my life, my all this very day. To crown the offering now, I pray, send the fire. Ravenhill goes on to say, every epoch uh, has been initiated by fire. Every life, whether of preacher or prostitute, will end with fire, either judgment fire or hellfire. And I wanna put this before us squarely whenever I teach and preach. If I don't, it's on me, guys. It's on me. This is what we're heading to, the fire of purification and purgation or the fire of hell and God's judgment. And I pray that we all flee from that starting today, more today. Um, the question is, is, do I want, is not do I want fire, but which fire do I want? Do I want the fire of hell? None of us want that. Or the fire of judgment, which will purge my impurities and burn up all that is not in and for and from Christ. Um, and here's another question. When the fire of judgment comes at the judgment scene, how much of my life and what I'm living for now will be left? Because all that is wood, hay, and stubble and not for Christ is gonna be burned to cinder. And what I want for you is to be there and to see that your life was lived in light of Christ, seeking his face and in a, in a, in a life of continual repentance. And it's what I want for me, what I want for me as well. Um, let me share a scripture with you as I close down that really hit me this week. Luke 19, Jesus said, it says, when he drew near, this is Jesus, and saw the city, he's coming toward the cross, guys, and he's cresting the hill and he sees Jerusalem. It says he wept over Jerusalem, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. So he came to his own and his own did what? They rejected him. Um, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you. He was talking about what would happen in 40 years in 70 AD. And here's this, here's the line that just stuck in my craw and continues to. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. God, that we would not miss the fact that you are present among us and a jealous God 
desiring all of us, having laid your life down and taken it up again for all of us, which is exactly why we are ordaining Paul and sending him out with his team to go plant a church. It's because this is for keeps. Um, Jesus, another thing that I encountered this week that really stuck with me, Jesus to the blind man near Jericho, he says, what do you want me to do for you? And that question stuck with me because I wonder if I would have a good answer for him. The blind man did. I want to see again. And then what did he do? He's, he was given sight and he went and he followed Christ rejoicing. Okay? Um, Jesus says, follow me. And so many did and so many didn't. Um, but if he's, he's asking you right now, what do you want me to do for you? I'm standing here. He's asking me this question. What is our answer? What do our souls desire? And my prayer, even if we don't, and especially if we don't know how to respond, is that we would say, Lord, give me a heart that knows that you are my treasure and to seek wholly after you. Rescue me, save me, carve away anything I've devoted myself to that's not holy and good and true and beautiful and excellent. Um, Paul speaks of the athlete and the soldier in 2 Timothy. And just to forget the athlete for now and in this sermon, I just wanna say, this really gets to the heart of what I'm talking about and what I think Paul is hammering on in Romans 6. And that is that this is for keeps. This is, we can be lulled to sleep by thinking, by having a misunderstanding about what this life's about. It's about comfort. It's about the American dream. It's about a 401k. It's about being nice people, getting man's approval. No, we're in a battle. We're in a war for souls. Our soul, the souls of all those around us. What kind of soldier would you be if you weren't constantly training and ready for battle? if you were just taking it easy most of the time, not only are you foolishly endangering your life, you are, you are a jeopardizing the lives of all those in your company. Um, we are a family connected by the blood and tissue and ligament and bone and muscle of Jesus Christ with Jesus as our head. We owe this to our Lord, but to one another to repent constantly of anything that the Lord convicts us of that we know is not right or that he shows us is not right. Um, closing down, I, I think of my children when I, when I think of these things. Um, this, this hit me a couple days ago. Will they one day ask, Dad, you said that you believe with all your heart that God Almighty, who made you for himself, you rebelled against him, um, and, and he came to rescue you by taking um, your sin into himself, dying on a Roman cross of torture and, and enduring hell in your place. Um, and, and I hope that he believes that I believe that. Um, and I would say, yes, I believe. And then for him to say, or for my daughters to say, then why are you living the way that you're living? Because I just don't see how it makes sense of those words. If God really came and did that for you and stood in your place and endured the white hot wrath of God, why are you living the way that you're living? It doesn't make any sense to me. May that never be. May that never be. Lord, I'm praying that prayer for me and for us. May that never be. Um, I don't want you again to feel condemned. I want you to feel convicted, to flee youthful passions and to pursue Jesus himself. He died to open our eyes and then for us to follow him in freedom. The gate, the gate is open. He is the key master, Revelation 1. He holds the keys to death and hell. He is the way and he is our soul's satisfaction. And anything else that we run after, now's the time for repentance that refreshing rains may come. Um, the last, there's no better way to end this time and to go to communion and then to sing and then to bring Paul up here than this. 
the way that he ends it. Romans 6.23, I've read it before, but to read it again, what a wonderful finish to this terrifying, sobering, pithy, powerful passage. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. It's what we've earned through our life, through what we've done and not done and said and not said. But, what a wonderful but, what a wonderful conjunction. But the free gift, free for us, not for him. It cost him everything. But the free gift of God, how much does he love us this much, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's in him. There's always more of him to be had. Lord, would you give us more of yourself? Would you carve away our flesh? Would you forgive us for our compromise um, that that we might be revived, that this area might see um, you, the light of the world? Um, Let me... Let me pray. Father, it's, it's, a, it's a hard word, but it is a good word. I, I pray that you would forgive me even now my inadequacies, Lord, in, in delivering it, in conveying it. Lord, I pray, I beg you, I beg you, I beg you, I beg you that whatever was not of you would fall to the floor, but whatever is of you, whatever your spirit is saying through your word now to this, your precious people, and some here who don't know you and think that they do or are just curious, Lord, to all of us, would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us soft hearts? Um, Lord, on this Sunday where we are, have the great and distinct privilege, not only of gathering as a people um, that you've purchased with your body and blood, but of ordaining and sending out this small sapling of a church, Lord. What a great privilege that we do not deserve that you are putting before us, Lord. And I thank you for people who desire that. On this Sunday, Lord, I just pray that you would open our eyes to see especially that we are in a war, that you are our captain who's gone before us. You have won the decisive victory and you are calling us to enter the fray on a new level, to sell everything and to follow you, Lord, to fully engage, to suit up and to allow you to carve away everything that, um, that isn't preparing us for battle um, and that isn't consistent with the fact that you came and gave everything to rescue us from death and hell and sin and Satan. Um, I repent, Lord. I pray that we would be a translucent, transparent people that the, your light is filling more and more and more. We are your slaves. May we flee unrighteousness and impurity. Um, Lord, I ask for conviction, not condemnation. Come, Holy Spirit, come through the rest of this time. Fill up your people. Draw them to you with cords of love. In Jesus' name, amen.